Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Hello. 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 Uh, Guess what we're talking about today. It's totally loaded. It's a loaded episode. Do you do you know? Po- you know. Are we talking about potatoes? potatoes. <laughs> I love a loaded potato. A loaded baked potato. <laughs> we're squirrely. You can tell we. You can we, tell we've we recorded yes. a few podcasts. We're getting squirrely. <laughs> okay, so to so here here's the thing. We're talking about faith in the clinical setting today, mm-hmm. which I think is a fascinating topic. Because it seems like the hospitals are scared of this topic, even though most of them are Judeo-Christian organizations. Mm-hmm. They seem like really terrified to offer faith support to patients going through cancer. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have my guesses as to why that is. We're going to ask our guest today why she thinks, you know, what she thinks the challenges are to, yeah. to patients getting faith care in the clinical setting. Yeah. But don't you agree? Faith's just so loaded. Yeah. I don't ever really remember being offered anything. You weren't offered it? No. I was offered it. They said, on a piece of paper, it said, is your faith important to you? You know, and I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And I think it even said, would you like to talk to somebody? And I said, yes. And then nothing happened. (laughs) Well, I've also found it interesting that like social work was like a total afterthought for me. Like they didn't offer anything. And they're like, oh, yeah, on your way out today, you should go talk to the social worker. And I was like, you mean after I've already had a surgery and I already know my plan and I already know this? Like, I mean, it, it felt like it, it wasn't was, on the it, front. It felt end. like it was like a little late. It was a little like, late well, in the process. Yeah. Yeah. They a lot of I think a lot of the hospitals, they don't have the resources to ensure every patient gets it. So I think they yeah, triage. Pe- they triage people. They yeah. triage them based on their level of distress. Yeah. Like, oh, if you seem like you're really spiraling, we might offer this to you. If you seem like you're OK, Ugh, then then you makes won't. Makes me sick. So, well, well, that's why we're out to change the cancer care landscape, Yeah, Sarah. that's true. That's you and true. I are doing our little piece to try to change <laughs> that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just think that faith is a loaded question. It's something that's not routinely offered, which is unfortunate because if you're on a Facebook support group, what does everybody ask for? Prayer. Prayer. Yeah. Right? It doesn't yep. matter what faith you are. doesn't matter what you believe. When people, when the rubber hits the road, man, they want that prayer. And unfortunately, it's not thought of as nursing care, but I yep. think it I think it should. Okay, so today we're going to talk to Susan Stucco, a chaplain from Mercy Hospital in St. Louis. Susan and I actually met when I launched Faith Through Fire, and we have worked in tandem on a handful of cases to ensure breast cancer patients receive emotional and spiritual care. So on occasion, actually, I mean, a decent amount, really, women will say, my faith is really important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my church family. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody else I could talk to that could kind of walk alongside me in the clinical setting? That's mm-hmm. typically when I would think, you know, Susan. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk to Susan about why she became a chaplain. And then we're going to talk about the challenges which can prevent patients from receiving spiritual care. Yep. And finally, we'll talk kind of about what patients can expect from a chaplain, how Susan's seen it, spiritual care benefit patients, and where she can be found. But before we do that, let's hear from our first sponsor. 
Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for being here. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. So you and I have known each other for a little while now, but I do you mind sharing with people kind of your your path? I mean, for example, were you always a faith-filled person? Actually, I was. I grew up in a faith-filled home. My mom was a very beautiful Christian woman, and she was probably key in my faith development and took us to church very frequently. And so, but I, I, I was thinking about just how that journey has been. And I've always had a sense of God's presence in my life. And so I would say that my faith has always been very much a part of my life, even as a young young person. But of course, as we grow up and we experience life a little bit more, we recognize kind of the, how that faith can play out in our life to support us or be there for us. Uh, so it really was probably in my high school years where I would say I truly came to faith with a deeper sense of knowing God. That's interesting because in high school was when I definitely did not, (laughs) was not pursuing God uh, to my full ability. So you were the opposite. You were in those teenage years and, and, and chasing after God. That's interesting. So you're a chaplain for Mercy here in St. Louis. Can you explain to people how chaplaincy is maybe different than, say, church ministry? I think people are kind of confused about the difference between the two. Sure. I mean, it's interesting because I've actually had the experience of both. So I was a chaplain at Mercy for about nine years. Then I had my, my youngest son. Then about a year after that, I went to work in a church. And I was actually director of congregational care at my church. So I called, I, I kind of have called myself the chaplain of the church. Uh, <laughs> and, and really what's different from being chaplain in a hospital versus working in church ministry is, you know, my, my congregation, most of them were Christian. So it was kind of that easy place to meet people because I, I it's what knew you knew that it, mm-hmm. it was expected too that you talk about Jesus and you mm-hmm. talk about faith and 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 so that was kind of the expectation when people came to me that it was is very much based on you know our Christian faith. Working in a hospital as a professional chaplain, we really are there to meet anybody and everybody. So you know I've. I walk with people from all walks of life, all cultures, all religious backgrounds. I walk with people who have faith in God. I walk with people who have no faith in God. And so as a professional chaplain, we, we don't proselytize. We don't try to convert people to our faith. We really are to meet people where they are. And so that's, that is the beauty of being a hospital chaplain because you can minister to anybody and try to help them recognize what 
their spiritual resources are. And what I've loved about being a hospital chaplain is it's brought in my concept of God and my concept of love. I also have loved learning about other people and what they believe and how they incorporate their own faith or spirituality into their experience. And so it's actually been a place of learning for me as well as a place of ministry. That's awesome. I think, you know, Sarah and I were talking about it earlier that, you know, we are very involved in the breast cancer community and there's a lot of online support groups. And the most common thing asked for in those groups is prayer. And yet I think a lot of times in the healthcare setting or just in general in society, people are very skittish and scared to talk about faith. I think it's kind of become this, you know, are you with me or against me kind of mantra. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really unfortunate because you're you're missing an opportunity to minister to people no matter what they believe and where they are right in their faith journey. And so I think that's the unique opportunity that exists with chaplaincy. Faith Through Fire is a Christian nonprofit, but like what you said is that we serve all women regardless of what their beliefs are or are not, and we don't proselytize either. We just try to be an example of love to these women. Right. Which is why we like partnering with the hospital chaplaincy groups, because we are not equipped to talk about other faiths or other beliefs, but chaplains are. That's your whole Mm -hmm. ministry. That is what you were trained to do is walk with people regardless of what their beliefs are or aren't. And so that's why when patients express an interest in spiritual care when they're going through a cancer diagnosis, our first referral is to the chaplaincy programs at these hospitals because you guys are equipped to do that. And we want them to get spiritual care that matters to them. We just think it's incredibly important. So I really respect what you guys do. And I, I want to kind of go into what challenges you think exist today when trying to provide spiritual support to hurting people. But before we do that, do you guys want to do Boobs in the News? Yes. Okay. Boobs in the News is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the News is brought to you by Pink Perfect, pink-perfect.com. Pink Perfect provides silicone prosthetic nipples for women who have undergone mastectomy and breast reconstruction with nipple removal. Visit pink-perfect.com and use promo code FAITHTHROUGHFIRE to receive $25 off your purchase. Bibs in the news! Bibs in the news! Bibs in the news! So this one comes out of England. Okay. They're always European. Silly people. From Cornwall. Okay. Cornwall. So this is what it says. It says council cuts down a thousand daffodils in a play area because because children might eat them. Oh my gosh. It says vexed locals in Cornwall have branded their town council bonkers after a thousand daffodils. A thousand. Can you imagine how beautiful that would be? Daffodils. A thousand daffodils were cut down in the play area due to health and safety fears. Because if you eat a daffodil, is it toxic or something? Officials at the St. Blaise Town Council have warned that flowers can be poisonous if eaten and could give children diarrhea. Oh, my Lord. So basically, a controversial new policy bans new bulbs at the old Roslyn play area in the foreseeable future. So uh, So they just went and chopped them all down. Yeah, because they were were worried that children were going to pick daffodils, flowers, and eat them. This is the world we live in now. It's child safety on steroids. Yeah, for sure. We're not going to have... I feel like we should just all wrap them in bubble wrap. We're not going to have flowers in play areas like because they could eat them. so sad. You know who I blame for this? Who? It's those morons who ate all the Tide Pods. (laughs) 
that's that's the start of all of this is that somebody yes. was stupid and was like oh this looks like candy even I though think, it doesn't i think we're just trying to like I don't know. It's like we have massive one-upness, you know, because there's all kinds of those TikTok challenges out there right now. I was reading about one last night that was like the milk crate challenge. And apparently you stack them on top of each other and then you try to get a super high tower so you can run all the way up this tower. Well, okay, they run all the way up and then people are falling off of these milk crates and then getting seriously hurt because milk crates are like yeah, not stable. Hard. They're not stable and they're they're not soft. So you fall on them and then people are getting really hurt. So, I mean, I think this is like that. It's a, just people being, they're always trying to one up and they're trying to find the next thing. And, you know, I don't know. People just don't know how to just live and not eat the stinking daffodils. I mean, I <laughs> don't even have words for this. Oh, well, I, sorry, I, children. The I, world I mean, is a little so less here, beautiful because we're trying to keep you safe. From eating plants. Are you kidding me? Yeah. A- Okay, so who's the boob here? Is it the council for banning flowers or is it the parents for not watching to make sure their kids aren't eating flowers? Okay, well, it's my vote is the parents, but I think it's the council because I actually have I actually have confidence in my children's intellect to not eat a daffodil. <laughs> I say that though, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about my seven year old who still likes to put things in her mouth just yeah. to see what they are. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I told you this. Like, actually, this is hysterical. I know, but you would keep an eye on her. You know that that's a thing. She so was on the playground her. at school, and they had put some ice <gasps> melt down. That's right. Yeah, she was at the high, <laughs> she was at the school. They had put ice melt down. You know that looks like little crystals. Yeah. And the teacher, she, the teacher saw her eyeballing it. Like, oh, ooh, that's gosh. pretty. And she's like, "Do not touch that. It's toxic. Don't eat that. Don't yeah. tu- don't touch that." Next thing I know, I'm getting a call from the school going. Uh, we told Charlotte not to do it and she put it in her mouth, but we made her spit it out and we think it's fine. And I was just like, my child Seriously. is like lacking brain cells. Like <laughs> she got her butt. Chewed. She's stuck in the uh, in the pattern of experience of the world so through maybe, her mouth like a one year old does. That's I yeah. told her, I said, you are seven. Yeah. You are not a one year old. Like yeah. this is way beyond when you should be putting things in your yeah. mouth to taste and maybe see. Maybe she thought it was going to like actually be like salt salt. So here I am making fun of maybe these people for dehydrated. getting rid of daffodils, <laughs> but my kid would be the one eating them. So, but you know what? You know what I say to that? If she eats a daffodil and gets that's diarrhea, on her. that's on her. You right? It's not like diarrhea. It's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Okay. There's okay. your bibs in the news. 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 So we're back, Susan. W- let's talk about the challenges that exist today when trying to provide spiritual support to to hurting people. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting because the very name of my role becomes a challenge. So if somebody says, "Oh, would you like to speak to a chaplain?" Dun, dun, um, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah. In walks the Grim that Reaper. conjures up so many thoughts and so many feelings. And, you know, for some people, it's like, oh, that's, you know, I don't want somebody coming and preaching at me. Or some people may think, you know, this is a very personal part of my life. I don't know if I feel comfortable talking with somebody about that. So it really is just an experience or they've had experiences with, their own we call that church hurt right yeah, like if they've been i was gonna say if they've been their hurt, own mm-hmm. yeah and and sadly it happens so much so so i i, I think what you're saying and this is so funny because you and i 100 percent agree on this the first thing is that people have preconceived notions of who you are because mm-hmm. you're a, a christian chaplain i have the same right. thing when i started faith through fire we're a christian organization and i will have people say to me after they talk to me and meet me like oh it's really interesting that you're a christian organization because you're so normal <laughs> 
<laughs> and it cracks me up. And I'm sh- assuming you probably get the same thing. And then the other thing that you said is just, I think people's fear of judgment, Mm -hmm. right? That you're making a judgment about them, that you're judging their life or their their beliefs. And that's not our place or our role to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I think, unfortunately, that's come through experience, right? People who claim to be a faith-filled person are then casting judgments. Right. You know, I think that that's really uh, interesting. yeah, I was gonna say one of the first things. It's amazing when, when especially if I am seeing people in the hospital, just making rounds. It's amazing when I introduce myself, you know, as the chaplain. They'll say, "Oh, I haven't been to church in in a while." <laughs> it's like they gotta <laughs> they, confess. And, They're confessing and, to you right mm, out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, oh, that that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I forgot. You I know? forgot your your religious scorecard at home. <laughs> Yeah, but right. a lot of people feel that yeah. way. A lot of people mm-hmm. are, and I mean, it's it's really an example of how the church has failed yeah. people. The fact that yeah. that people are coming to you know to this and saying, "Oh, okay, well, you know," they're feeling that judgment without you even having a conversation is really a sad a sad thing. I yeah. think personally, right? Well, and and I think then taking that the next step is just the whole piece about I don't have enough faith and others may view me as not having enough faith if I'm questioning God or if I'm angry at God or why did this happen to me or I'm having a hard time praying. I I mean, I have so many patients who are quote unquote strong faith-filled people, but when they have their cancer diagnosis come at them or if the treatment's getting a little challenging, you know, they little, literally will say to me, I just, I can't pray. And mm. and so for them to be able to say that in a safe place is very healing, I think, for them. And, you know, so often folks think that they have to put on this, this face of strength and I've got this and I'm okay. And God, God is, you know, I, I, so have, I have that. I mean, me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, lean, you know, I, I think some patients lean away from God when they get diagnosed and other people lean in. I was a lean right. in. But just because I leaned in, I mean, I I did. I leaned into him. That being said, there were definitely moments where I didn't have the words to pray. You know, I wanted to lean Absolutely. in. I wanted to to f- like rest in his presence, but I could not form the words. When I had other people that were willing to do that for me, it was right. such a feeling of security and just calm. I I, I loved it. But I definitely and, think that people respond differently and they need somebody that they can share that with and not feel that judgment. Absolutely. And that and that to me is the gift of spiritual care is it, it is a sacred, I feel a sacred, holy place where we meet people with whatever it is that is on their heart, on their mind, in their spirit. And, and even some people struggle when they get a diagnosis, what did I do to deserve this? You know, just that, even that piece. So just those places where grace and forgiveness are needed and, and, and to try to help them explore that they didn't do anything to deserve this, you know, and just to let them find, you know, what I, my, my goal and my hope always is to help them find peace. And I think if you can find moments of peace, I think, you know, those are places of healing. And I'm a believer that healing always happens, whether it's physical healing or not, but spiritual healing can definitely always happen. And there's also a lot of research that shows that people, one, want to actually talk about their faith or their spirituality in a healthcare setting. And two, there's a lot of 
research that shows that it makes a difference when this does happen. So what are so to, what, what kind of yeah. difference are you seeing? Because you are a bit unique in that you are in the outpatient setting. And I don't think a lot of people realize that that's like a resource, you know, in that kind of setting. They think about more inpatient chaplaincy. Right. So what what do you see as like one of the biggest benefits when you walk? Because I mean, a lot of patients somebody? like, you know, they're not hospitalized. Like mm-hmm. for us, you're going right. to chemo, you're going to radiation, you have a follow up appointment, you're feeling anxious yeah. about what the doctor's going to say. I mean, these mm-hmm. are all opportunities for somebody to be in the clinical setting mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, got your back. I think it's a huge I mean, you are unique in that fact, Susan. So can you speak right. to that? Like how you've walked alongside people in the outpatient side? Sure. Yeah. So, so we really, as you said, most, most people think of chaplains being in the hospital probably about 10 years ago at Mercy, we, we started going out into the outpatient world. And, and actually the first clinic that I actually piloted in was one of our cancer clinics and what we what we found then. And, and what I still find now is when you enter into that space to help somebody look at how they can integrate their spirituality into this experience of cancer, you you do find that people seem to cope better. Doesn't mean they cope easily all the time, but they do have a sense of coping better. And you have this opportunity to draw from them how they understand the spiritual resources they have to help them. So whether it's prayer, whether it's journaling, whether it's any kind of ritual or blessing, those things are all important. And those things can happen in the outpatient setting. So often what I do is I will get a referral. Usually it's from the nurse navigators or the social workers in our cancer clinic. And they just recognize one, if there's any spiritual distress. So if somebody has just received a diagnosis or has received some tough news about their treatments or whatever, you know, might be causing them some anxiety, the team will recognize this as distress and they will make a referral to me. So often I'll either make an initial phone call or if they're actually in the clinic at the time, I will try to meet with them. So whether it's before, during, or after appointments or treatments, just to, again, to be that safe space where they can talk about how they're feeling. And then, you know, what I try to do is assess and and explore how they've maybe used their spiritual resources in the past to help them now. And as we integrate those things, you do see people being able to move through their experience in a way that I think one, I'm like, I think easier in some ways, but I, I also think it just becomes a spiritual journey that where they actually learn and allow themselves to learn new things about themselves, new things about God, new things about life. You know, I think so many patients who get the diagnosis of cancer say perspective changes, you know, so help them to kind of talk about how their perspective on life has changed, how their relationships have changed. There's so many people who have a hard time letting other people help them because, you know, so many of us are used to being independent and it's hard to ask for help. And so, encouraging them to build their team, encouraging them to let people be there for them, to see that as important, but also very much a way that God shows up. I get to have these conversations with patients and families, I might add, you know, the family support is a real important part of my 
my work as well. Yeah, I would imagine that the caregivers also need some maybe spiritual care mm-hmm. a lot of times. They, they really struggle. And, and what I find is the, the patient and the family, they're both trying to protect one another. So they're being strong and they're not communicating <laughs> yeah. well. And, you know, yeah. and so part of my, my work at times is to help that communication happen where, cause it takes a lot of energy to kind of put on that mask of strength and I'm, I've got this mm-hmm. and I'm okay. Where, you know, most of the times that honest communication is, is, uh, it just brings some relief. Right. And, you know, and, and as I tell people, you've got to, you've got to keep that, that energy, that good, positive energy going to help you face all that you're facing. And if you're, you're, you're having to, if you feel like you're having to protect somebody because you're afraid or they're afraid and you're not communicating, that's just another piece of stress that I think is something to look at. So, so I love being able to work with not only the patients and, but also the family members or the caregivers and, and to provide support. I think in terms of, I mean, Sarah and I talk about it all the time, whole person care, right? Mm -hmm. You need to do the mind and the body and the spirit. And so in my, in my mind, in my perfect world, you know, everybody would get an automatic referral to a oncology therapist, a health coach, a chaplain when they get diagnosed with cancer. And then it's, you know, just one referral. They go see everybody one time. And if it's not their thing, it's not their thing, right? But you're giving them the opportunity for that care, that whole person care. Mm -hmm. It can be tough in the medical setting to get those referrals because everybody's so busy. And we're not holistically minded. We're trying to treat the disease. We're not necessarily trying to treat the spirit. It. And I think that's what's missing in cancer care. And I, I really think w- the work that you do is important and something that's needed. So before we kind of talk about how patients can ensure they get spiritual care in the clinical setting and then maybe where patients can specifically find you, let's hear from our second sponsor. Innsbruck Resort is a proud sponsor of the Faith Through Fire Respite House and the Besties with Breasties podcast. We know you work hard, but at Innsbruck, we also know you want to disconnect from what's stressing you out and reconnect with the important things in your life. Innsbruck makes it easy by offering lakefront living and vacationing less than 45 minutes from St. Louis. Vacation homes, golf, swimming, nature trails, fun events, and more. Take a drive and discover Innsbruck. Visit Innsbruck resort.com. All right, we are back. So Susan, if a patient's doctor doesn't offer to facilitate spiritual care, what would you like them to know about how they can go about requesting it? Yeah. So, and to be honest, that is, that is kind of the norm that the, the provider doesn't often offer spiritual care. I, I think a lot of providers are still under that that notion that that's a, a personal thing. And I think, I think some providers are also afraid of having to have those conversations because they might feel uncomfortable themselves, you know, to talk mm-hmm. about spirituality. Yeah. If you're not, a, if you don't have, you know, if you don't consider yourself a faith-filled person, you're not right. going to feel comfortable asking somebody else if they want spiritual care. Yeah. I think that happens, you know, a lot. So I would just encourage patients to, to speak up and just say, this is really important to me to address my, my, my spiritual health and, and even to share how you might see your spirituality being a part of, if you want to say the treatment plan and also, you know, one's faith and values 
inform their decisions of, yeah. of care. That's another important piece of, of how that's going to inform what kind of treatment plan they may you know, be on. So I would say just to bring it up, not be afraid to bring it up because most places I do think, I know locally here in St. Louis, most health systems have chaplains available. If they don't know how to make those referrals, then, you know, I would say then go to somebody else on the team. Social workers and nurse navigators, I think are huge proponents of a holistic approach. And uh, so I would say, talk to them and try to get the referral as well. How can patients specifically find you, Susan? Is it as easy as calling your office and just leaving a message, or do you want that referral to come through the provider? It can be as easy as calling me and leaving a message, yes. So (laughs) thankfully, my number is posted everywhere in the the cancer center. I have brochures throughout the clinics. What's your office number, Susan? Well, my office is actually located, I have two offices. So one is located in the cancer center and it's suite 3170. So it's on the third floor, which is right near our main hematology oncology clinic and main infusion center. And then also have an office in the hospital itself in the pastoral care office. Do you know what the number is offhand? Sure. So my, my personal phone um, connection would be 314-251-6947. And then the pastoral care office at Mercy is 314-251-6470. And we also have a chaplain on 24-7 in-house. So I always tell my patients, if they're struggling, wake up in the middle of the night and need to talk to a chaplain, they can actually call the hospital chaplain and try to talk to him or her. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here today and explaining kind of what chaplaincy is and and how you help patients in the clinical setting. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the work you do. It's just been a real joy getting to know you and to be able to tell folks about you. And I think of one patient in particular and just know what a positive impact you all had in her journey. with cancer. So So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being our partner. All right. Until next time, guys. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Leave us a voicemail or share your own experience on bestieswithbreastiespodcast.com. And don't forget to leave a five-star review. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmes. Audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies. 